0: Greetings from the Far East. I come from the land of Muldoon. I'm grateful for an opportunity to share God's Word with you today and uh, give a brief explanation today. Well, for those of you who have ever ridden on a roller coaster before you go through all the turns and hills and those those just stomach dropping dives and then you finally pull up to the platform where you know you're going to disembark and there's a line of people ready and excited to get on the ride and sometimes the roller coaster slows down and just before you get to the destination what happens it starts to back up on you and you go through the same ride in reverse right and it's a little it's it's A little more, almost unsettling, because you can't see what's ahead of you. It's all coming at you from behind, and what happens is your perspective changes. of everything you just saw. You see it from a different point of view, and now everything starts in your periphery and then ends up in front of you like that. That is the perspective we're going to take today as we recap the story. Um, So please keep that in mind as we go through the story today, and... um, What's most important here is that you receive God's word, that you hear what he is saying, that you, when all is said and done here, that you see the amazing work that our God has done. And for me, as a person who's driving a car at high speed in reverse, you're intently focused on your side view and rear view mirror and looking over your shoulder occasionally. I will be intently focused on my notes that we get through this in a timely manner. Fair enough? With that said, I present to you the story a recap in red, in reverse. And we begin. With the end of time. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And we should say, Yes, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross allows us to be rightly related to God in communion with Him here on earth as we wait for Him to take us to our heavenly home. We see God holding the history of mankind together with a crimson cord, a cord of His unconditional love for His creation. Through all the prophecies, warnings, and even frightening imagery found in the book of Revelations, the Lord still declares, behold I stand at the door and knock anyone who opens to me and lets me in, I will sit and commune with them this book of revelations contains seven seven letters, they are to the Christian church at different dispensations and times throughout history, these letters are addressed to seven actual churches of that day, speaking to their specific needs and or merit, the Lord's return will come in the twinkling of an eye like a thief in the night, and therefore we must be prepared, it should be noted as Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. The apostle Paul was martyred for his faith, declaring that he was poured out as a drink offering. God entrusted Paul to write much of the New Testament as a chosen instrument to bear the name of Jesus in towing, sharing, and revealing this crimson cord, this fingerprint of God's plan on humanity. Paul was unwavering in his faith and trust in God, though he experienced persecutions and stoning, not the kind that just became legal in Alaska, to snake bites and shipwrecks. Paul leaned always on God's grace and mercy to get him through great trials and suffering, from following the messiah's call on his life paul's zeal and passion with which he declared the gospel and built god's church far exceeded the desire to persecute and destroy the christian church prior to his conversion he was the first missionary to the non-jews the gentiles prior to being an apostle used mightily by the lord in declaring the gospel preaching christ and him crucified paul was known as saul saul began his studies as a disciple for jesus christ after his sight was restored to him saul was converted on the road to damascus as jesus called out to him from beyond a bright blinding light so bright it knocked him right off his animal see back then he was Saul the gospel hunter seeking to persecute and have arrested anyone who would teach or even call on Jesus as the Messiah he was an accomplice to and an accessory to the murder of the first Christian martyr Stephen Saul was a persecutor of the church but in truth he was persecuting Jesus God's Spirit bears witness with us that we are, in fact, children of the Most High God. He, the Spirit, convicts, counsels, and comforts us. He enables us to walk with God, to honor and to obey Him. The Spirit which indwells God's children is the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead now fills and empowers us. He is the helper whom Jesus promised. He told us He would not leave us alone as He ascended to His heavenly throne. "'Ring the bell both loud and deep. "'The Lord ain't dead, nor does he sleep. "'Jesus rose that we would have life anew. "'The resurrected Messiah suffered all we were due.'" None were strong enough to hold the eternal king. O oh, grave, where is your victory? O oh, death, where your sting? The king of glory stepped out for our salvation. Heaven erupted in triumphant ovation. The guards they fell as though they died. The stone was rolled and cast aside. The earth it shook without warning early on that Sunday morning. The disciples were shouted deep in gloom. Their cause of revolution faced certain doom. To ensure Christ's body not be removed, guards were posted. There'd be no room. A boulder placed sealing the tomb. Three long days in a borrowed grave the author of life did lay. Heaven was silent in response to the violence. Our price he paid. To reconcile us back to God, he sacrificed his life to pay for humanity's sin. The Roman soldiers declared, truly this was the Son of God, having participated in many a crucifixion, but never with results like this. Darkness covered the land, the earth shook, some previously dead rose from their graves. The curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom as Jesus yielded his spirit. By losing his life, he would save the lives of all who would believe in him. The crowd didn't understand, so they mocked. Why can't you save yourself if you can save others? As the Lord of Lords hung between two thieves, crucified. Those closest to him had scattered. They hid. They denied knowing Jesus. He had been beaten, tortured, mocked. After he was taken by the soldiers, a friend's kiss was what sealed his betrayal. Your will be done. Not mine. Let this cup of suffering pass from me if it be your will, Father. Jesus cried these words out in the garden of Gethsemane after sharing the Passover meal with his disciples as the time of his crucifixion was at hand. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Come unto me. Jesus' invitation is the same today as it was back then. Come unto me. For the sin of all people for all time, He was the perfect offering. Before the foundations of the earth, He was the spotless Lamb of God. He never sinned, never yielded to temptation, though He lived through and faced everything we face. 100% man, 100% God, the great conundrum in theology. God incarnate, the Savior of humanity, God's Son, fully revealing Himself to His disciples, the Messiah. The Christ stood in the midst of the religious leaders of that day who claimed to know the scriptures. They were blinded by their fear and preconceptions. Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, and forgave sins. He taught with power and authority like none other. It became clear to those with eyes to see and ears to hear through his signs, wonders, and teaching. Jesus was no ordinary man. John the Baptist's ministry would decrease, where Jesus' began and increased. You see, they came from the cities and towns all around to hear the long-haired preacher from the desert get down. Waist high in water, never short on words. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven can be yours. Then he stopped in the middle of his words and dropped down to his knees. He said, behold, the Lamb of God, he's the one. the lamb, don't you people understand? You're staring at the sun, God's reaching out his hand. Shout out to Toby Mac. (laughs) Dressed in camel hair with locusts and honey on his breath, John had been preparing a way for the Lord. God with us, Emmanuel, the child of promise, revealing and restoring hope to a hopeless people. To confound the minds of the wise, the Almighty was delivered in the most vulnerable of positions, the son of the living God, the Christ, the Messiah, born in the presence of society's least in a small town in an animal stable to a seemingly insignificant couple. At last, the time had come, the fulfilling of promises, prophecies, and foretelling throughout the centuries. We arrived at this specific destination being deliberately led by this crimson cord that was woven through every chapter of the history of man. Prior to Jesus' birth, the city of Jerusalem... And the temple were consecrated to El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, as the wall around Jerusalem was rebuilt in 52 days. There were times when the laborers worked with one hand and held weapons with the other. People trusted God for the ability to build, for wisdom and for strength. Nehemiah and Ezra kept the people's focus on God and his power. As some of the people asked, Nehemiah, can we build it? Nehemiah, yes, we can. I was hoping for a little help on that. The building of the wall was met with stern opposition as it commenced when the last of Israel's exiles were returned home. God would continue stitching history together with that crimson cord to fulfill the, his promise of a savior. He would protect his people. Xerxes was king over 127 provinces. He called for his wife Vashti to join him in front of the people, put her beauty on display, take a couple selfies, post it on their MySpace page. I'm told that's an ancient form of social media. Vashti refused and was banished from the presence of the king, so Xerxes needed a new wife. So he produced the first season of The Bachelor, and Esther won. She really won. The king didn't know that Esther was an Israelite. And Xerxes' BFF, Haman, he hated the Israelites, especially this guy Mordecai, Esther's cousin, BTW. Haman made a plot to wipe out all the Israelites, starting with Mordecai. Unfortunately for Haman, Mordecai once saved the king's life, and when Xerxes learned of Haman's plan, well, let's just say Haman became intimately familiar with Shishkebab. Through the rubble and rebuilding of the temple, The hope of that crimson cord, the promised Savior, the Messiah, started coming back into focus. Many of the Israelites were sent home, fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah. This occurred in the first year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. Prior to that, God shut the mouths of the lions in the den where Daniel was thrown. They didn't refuse to eat him because they heard he was a vegetarian, as some speculate. God actually shut the mouths of those lions. You see, Daniel refused to compromise his relationship with the living God and prayed only to him in light of a new law declaring that all people must pray only to the king, Darius. See, Darius was duped into making this stupid new law. Isn't it a good thing that today's politicians aren't susceptible to that kind of behavior? Yeah. Until that time, Nebuchadnezzar had been the king of Babylon. He made one very wise decision, declaring it would be really smart for all the people to worship the God who protected and saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. They walked around in this burning furnace unharmed and were joined by a fourth person whom Nebuchadnezzar declared had the appearance of the Son of God. Of course, the three young Hebrew men were in that furnace as directed by Nebuchadnezzar because they refused to bow down to a statue that he had erected of himself for people to worship. Before having their names changed, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Prior to these things, that bright crimson cord had become a low, smoldering coal, barely recognized by the Israelites by the time they all, including the tribe of Judah, had been taken captive to Babylon. This was the result of the kings of Israel, the son and grandson of Manasseh, doing what was detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Earlier, Manasseh had been returned to Israel after seeing the error of his ways and crying out to the Lord. Manasseh had been dragged to Babylon by a hook in his nose. Manasseh had been doing detestable things in the eyes of the Lord himself. He was made king at the age of 12. And back then, there were no smartphones, tablets, or video games. So Manasseh got by disobeying and offending God without the help of electronics. And he managed to do so. Doubt and despair now shrouded the crimson cord. The Israelites were ignoring, shrugging off the works of God throughout their history and the words of his prophets. The Bible says the Israelites had become stiff-necked, which could have been the result of the Assyrians, whom took the Israelites captive, not having invented tempur mattresses yet. Most of the Israelites were taken from their homeland as a result of their disobedience to God. Despite reminders of his love and goodness and warnings of his justice and judgment, the tribe of Judah was different. They were listening and obeying. It was as though God was going to do something special through the tribe of Judah. And even as we see the beginning of the end of the kingdom of Israel. Through the centuries, God's prophets gave warnings and cautions, but the Israelites wouldn't heed. They wove a tapestry with that crimson cord, bringing strong messages with calls to repentance, warnings of impending calamity, and declarations of the coming Messiah. These were people called and anointed by God to speak his word to the masses. This is not like that prosperity preacher who once told me, if you're not a prophet, you're a loss. Before learning of the prophets, we saw a shadow begin to fall on the light of hope, that crimson cord. See, when Jesus walked the earth, he declared a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. This was true long before his earthly ministry, as we see a rift and a divide in Israel. King Rehoboam raised taxes after a group of clingy, slack-jawed, mouth-breathing losers. Sorry, that's my paraphrase. He asked a bunch of his friends what he, for advice, and they went all Gordon Gecko and said, Greed is good. Rehoboam asked them for their input because he was concerned as the people complained about high taxes. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. We see the branches of the family tree of the Messiah as they continue to reach up and out and yet fall short. This crimson cord still holds all things together and grows. Jesus declared himself as greater than Solomon. The kingdom was ripped from Solomon's hands as he turned his affections away from the Lord God. Solomon's collection of wives and concubines was greater in volume than the number of Pokemon cards in a nerdy teenager's bedroom. This was evidence that he chose not to properly use the gift of wisdom God gave him. God had blessed Solomon with so many other gifts in addition to that. And Solomon was... Greatly respected because when asked by the Lord if you could have anything, what is it you desire most? And Solomon's response was wisdom. Solomon became king after his father, David. David, God called a man after God's own heart. David was repentant and remorseful, broken and contrite after being convicted by God for a series of the most terrible decisions by any human, let alone the king of Israel. It all started when David saw Sheba taking a bath. Well, it's Bathsheba taking a bath. That just always sounds redundant to me. But up until that point, And after his relationship was restored with God, David was a great and powerful king. King Saul, David's predecessor, introduced us to the phrase, fall on your sword. God even showed mercy to King Saul, though he made attempts to kill David because he knew David was the heir apparent he would one day take Saul's throne. The crimson cord is seen weaving through history as from the city of David would come the perfect king whom God would send to Israel, though they would reject and crucify him. It was the prophet Samuel. Samuel, Samuel, here am I, Lord. It was the prophet Samuel who would tell Saul to turn out the lights. The party's over. This happened when Saul began disobeying God after reading his own headlines and buying his own hype. Saul was initially a humble man, and things started off well for him as Israel's first king. God did warn the people to basically be careful what you wish for after they whined about wanting a king. We want a human king. Everyone else gets a human king. Why can't we have one? So they got one. Although God did remind them that he was, in fact, their king. We saw a picture of, a type of, if you will, a foreshadowing of Jesus, the Messiah, our kinsman-redeemer, through a man named Boaz. We were introduced to Boaz through Ruth, who, after her husband died, stayed with her mother-in-law and served and remained faithful to her. Boaz was revealed as Ruth's kinsman-redeemer. The judgment of God, which we have earned would be allotted to Jesus and measured or apportioned to him on that cross at Calvary. Jesus declared, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. In earlier times, God used flawed individuals as judges who would be used in temporarily setting his people free. We looked at a couple of these judges. Who was it that gave Samson dating advice anyway? This guy made some of the worst dating decisions of any guy in history, though he was a strong and powerful man chosen by God. And another judge is found hiding in a wine press from his enemies. God calls him a mighty man of valor. Gideon was the other judge we focused on in this chapter and God shows us that he will in fact use flawed individuals in his perfect plan. A crimson cord hangs from the window of a prostitute named Rahab to identify her whereabouts and her families after the great wall of Jericho had fell. It's important to note that she was rescued by the Israelites as she is in fact in the genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus. For 7 days the Israelites marched around Jericho. On the seventh day after the seventh time marching around the city, John Cougar Mellencamp sang, The walls come tumbling down. When the children of Israel blew their trumpets and gave a mighty shout, they marched around that city at God's direction, though the people of Jericho told them to leave. God had given his people that land, and the city of Jericho stood in their way. Thus the battle began. Moses was forbidden to enter the land of milk and honey. Sounds sticky. God told him he lost his pass to the promised land when Moses lost his temper with the children of Israel and most of the adults. He had been listening to them for four decades. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Quit touching me. We're thirsty. The Israelites survived on a diet of quail and manna. Manna was a doughy substance which could be baked into bread. Jesus compared himself to manna, saying that he was the true bread of heaven, the bread of life, satisfying hungry souls for eternity. Moses delivered God's law to the people presenting the original top ten list, eat your heart out, David Letterman. Pharaoh and the Egyptian army were swallowed up by the Red Sea because there was no lifeguard on duty when they tried chasing after the Israelites across the seabed, which was exposed as God split the sea for his people to get to safety on their way to the promised land. Pharaoh had let the peoples go as a result of the firstborn of all the Egyptians dying when someone cranked up Metallica's creeping death. That's not an endorsement of Metallica. That's just name dropping for a little street cred. We see the crimson cord exposed here in that the Hebrews were protected from the curse of that plague by the blood of a Passover lamb. Jesus became for us all God's Passover lamb, the lamb of God who would rescue all people from the curse of the plague of humanity's sin. That final plague was preceded by nine others to which which Pharaoh, his heart became more and more hardened. Moses initially approached Pharaoh to tell him that God wanted him to let the Israelites go. Pharaoh refused. Moses reluctantly accepted the task of leading and delivering God's people after encountering God being spoken to him through a burning bush in the wilderness which was not consumed by the flames. Dramatic pause. Rewind 400 years. The Crimson Cord is in its early stages but growing. We see the life of Joseph as a parallel to that of the Messiah, Jesus. He foretold that one day he would rule. He was falsely accused. He was numbered with transgressors, sentenced to death, betrayed, and sold for silver, raised from a pit, and seated on a throne. Je- Joseph was in Egypt as a slave, going through many peaks and valleys. God remained faithful to him, and Joseph honored and obeyed God. Joseph's 11 codependent brothers gave their neurotic father Jacob Joseph's coat covered in animal blood and said, Danny, it was awful. Joseph was killed by wild animals, and there was nothing we could do. Here's his coat. What's for dinner? See, they concocted this story because they had, in fact, sold Joseph into slavery, deciding that was much more humane than killing him. He was their brother, after all. He had the audacity, Joseph did, to have dreams where his family bowed down to him. And, of course, one day they did. We see a bright early revealing of this crimson cord. There's a mountain in Moriah where God would provide his son as the Lamb of God. To be sacrificed in our place, to have the judgment due us poured out on him. Centuries earlier, in that same vicinity, God offered a replacement sacrifice of a ram to Abraham, who was prepared to sacrifice his son, Isaac, believing God would even raise him from the dead, until an angel of the Lord stopped Abraham. The Savior, the Messiah, would come through the lineage of Isaac. He was, Isaac was born To Abraham and his wife when they were well beyond childbearing years and before Isaac's birth, in an attempt to help God with his plan for a great nation to come through Abraham, Sarah offered her younger handmaiden, Hagar, to Abram to have a child with. Their son was named Ishmael. Call me Ishmael. When Isaac was born, however, he kicked Ishmael out of the sandbox, and there hasn't been peace in the Middle East ever since. God straightened Abram out and got him back with his wife as he, God, had ordained it. God revealed to Abram that he would be the father of a great nation as he walked by faith, following God and trusting him as a stranger in a strange land. We saw the very beginning of the crimson cord in the creation account. Scriptures say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The system of repentance, sacrifice, and forgiveness began after mankind's initial decision to willingly, deliberately disobey God, they sinned and severed their relationship with the Almighty, which was seemingly a plot twist as on the sixth day, God created man, male and female created He them and He called them very good and they lived in perfect communion with God in a right relationship with Him. Everything else that God created, the heavens and the earth, Everything that we see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the plants of the ground, every creeping thing that creepeth across the earth, even the things that creepeth us out, God simply called good. God created this all in the beginning. And what we can see in the beginning and in these last days is man having a right relationship with God. And first in the beginning, it was through his created son, Adam. And when that relationship was severed and fellowship was broken between man and God, God weaves through history with this crimson cord and he meticulously, carefully puts it all together for us that now in these last days, it is through his only begotten son, born of a woman, the savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that we can have that restored, reconciled relationship with him. It is by God's grace That we are saved, that we can have this right relationship with Him. The crimson cord that I've been referring to is offered to us as a lifeline to grab a hold of. It is red, crimson red, with the blood, the precious blood of the Messiah, and with God's unwavering, undying, unconditional love for you. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. And we, we stand back and see what you have done, God. And I'm amazed. I'm overcome. And I'm so grateful to you, Lord. Be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen.